you can obviously see that I enjoy that whistle. I mustn't do it too often because it floods my pleasure center. Because it means then I've got to whistle louder in order to feel any pleasure. Well, I, I, you, you guys must be exhausted, you know. I think you really are wonderful for hanging in there all this time. And I, I want to close out our afternoon session. And I'll probably just speak for about half an hour and then we can have uh, five or ten minutes of questions just to close out, give you one more opportunity to try and uh, demolish me. <laughs> And, 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 I, and the topic I want to close out with is the topic of burnout. Now, obviously, I've not... Uh, I was gonna say, obviously, it's, it's not a topic that affects everybody, but it is common enough, I think, that it's helpful for you to know about it so you can protect yourself from it. It's helpful for you to know about it so you can help someone else who is experiencing it. And the problem with burnout, there's no, there are no easy solutions. There are no pills for it. This is, a, this is a problem that is uh, emotional and uh, there's no chemistry that's gone wrong or anything like that. And in... In vocations that are people-centered, people-oriented, are the vocations that generally are at greatest risk for burning out. Now, the the concept of burnout is uh, is a fairly modern one, fairly modern one. It emerged during the drug era of the 60s when the excessive use of drugs just totally destroyed people and you walk down the street and you just see a drug addict lying in the gutter burnt out. And so the expression, the, 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 the concept, the construct emerged out of the drug era 60s to describe someone who had overdone their drugs and now there was literally like a car that has burnt out on the side of a road somewhere. We've just been abandoned. I mean, that was the, the, the feeling. But soon others began to pick up on it and say, you know, there is an emotional phenomenon that is almost equivalent to that burnt-out vehicle that's, that's been abandoned. And so the, the term has become fairly well-defined and, and, and clearly understood and I think is a very helpful construct. You won't find it in any diagnostic book. I often have physicians email me, uh, you, know, you know, I don't see burnout in in, in the DSM or any of the other diagnostic manuals uh, because it's, it's not reached that level of seriousness, shall I say, as to warrant having a medical 
or even psychiatric diagnosis. The American the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, which is the main one we use, doesn't mention it. It's not, not even listed. Now, that's in the present edition. Four, it could be that in the new one that's about to come out soon, they might now include it. But, but even though it's not an official diagnosis and it's not really official illness and you probably could never get leave from work for it, it is very real and it is very painful. Burnout will not kill you, but you'll wish you were dead. It, it occurs in people helpers. I remember having a client, she was a nurse who worked the night shift. She had been a nun and she had been raped by a priest, left the Catholic uh, service, became a nurse, uh, was an a, a opera, operating room nurse, where, you know, helps in, and, then, and then started doing the, the immediate recovery afterwards. She was the recovery nurse. And <clears throat> worked just at night shifts. She, just, she didn't want to be bothered with people and no one else wanted the night shift and she liked it. And uh, she'd been doing that for a number of years when finally she, she'd come and heard me in a seminar and she thought, you know, it's time I really got a life. And She was in her late 40s and so she asked if she could see me and I started therapy with her to really help her get her life together and get back on her feet. She's the same lady who had the cat that died and wanted to the same lady. But sometimes, you know, as, as therapists, we, we make our mistakes. and we, we try not to advise people. That's not good therapy. But I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rather a directive uh, uh, psychologist, so I, I, I tend to... I, tend, I, I, I feel that sometimes my job is to help people manage their lives. And some people can't make this. So I, I try as wisely as I can to advise them in the right direction. And I said to this lady... You know what? You're never going to get a life, not going to get a social life as long as you're always working at night and sleeping during the day. Because the rest of us, in case you hadn't noticed it, we work during the day and sleep at night. <laughs> and so I persuaded her to give up the night shift in the recovery room, surgical recovery room, and do the day shift. She agreed. Good idea. Talked to her supervisor and, and made arrangements started doing the day shift recovery. One month, she was burnt out. Now, what was the difference? Night, the, the nighttime surgery, this was, this is the gunshots, this is Los Angeles I'm talking about. This is all the gruesome stuff. People, you have the face blown away. This is real gruesome stuff. I mean, that would freak me out. And she thrived on it. And the day recovery time was all elective surgery, ingrown toenails. Kids, broken arms, you know, petty stuff. And the persistent nagging criticism of parents and, and mildly sick people burnt her out. Burnt her out. And, and, and so burnout is a phenomenon that, that affects people helpers. 
A good definition of burnout would would be the phrase uh, demoralization, demoralized. So the official definition, burnout is a syndrome of emotional exhaustion, one, depersonalization and reduced personal accomplishment that occurs in individuals who work with people. So if you have to man the complaints desk in a in 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 a big store, you're at risk for burnout. If you have to be the receptionist in many cases, you could be be at risk. And so most businesses now are aware of that, and so they usually change these people often to give them a break, you know, be two hours on complaints and then get you off that. But but it's really demoralization. Or let me put it another way. And it's different from stress. Imagine there are two different roads. There's the stress road and there's the burnout road. Now, sometimes you've got a leg in both. (laughs) sometimes but it's better to understand these two as separate when you go down the stress road you really are looking at this over adrenaline line this emergency response this fight or flight response the stress is essentially over arousal of the adrenal system see burnout is over arousal of the emotional system So doctors who do oncology work, nurses who work with dying people all the time, very soon, emotionally, become numb and burn out. It's, 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 it's that phenomenon. Pastors who are struggling with you know, planting a new church and things aren't going well and things are, you know, it's nothing but problems. Burnout. Burnout is accelerated by such things as helplessness. I, I, my wife, when she was converted, she was converted at age 16 by a Salvation Army, a young Salvationist woman who was only 19 or 20. She became a mentor for my wife in those first few years. And ever since then, my wife has wanted to wear the Salvation Army uniform. She's got this obsession. You know, I don't know. I've offered to buy her one. She can walk around the house in it. It might turn me on. I mean, talk about sexually, talk about, um, you know, enhancing your, your, getting all this external stuff, getting your adrenaline paired with your sexuality. It might just do that, you know. I don't doubt it, but I... I'd thought about it. <laughs> and, and I had uh, gone back east, the, the Vermont area, that uh, northeast part of the United States, that district of the Salvation Army, I'd become well known in and would often go back there to do retreats for them. And one year when I had the invitation to go back, I said to my wife, honey, why, why don't you come with me? You've got this obsession with Salvation Army uniform. And um, why don't you come back with me? Let's go to the conference. What I didn't tell her was that Salvationists hate their uniform. And when they go on a retreat, they leave their uniform at home. And it's the only time they are permitted to do that. At all other times, in public, a Salvationist has to wear his or her uniform. All times. 
Well, it was a little disappointing for her, but she loved being them. We, 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 have, we have honorary colonelships in the Salvation Army. I'm an honorary colonel. And, and no, and that's not true. I'm an honorary lieutenant colonel, lieutenant colonel. That's one step below. My wife is an honorary colonel. So, and usually Salvationists, husband and wife, get the same rank. Oh, yes. And they do the same work. And she's got to preach as often as he does. It, it, I tell you, it's egalitarian, it's equality, like you wouldn't believe. Um, but, but they gave us these certificates. I'm, she's lieutenant, uh, colonel, I'm lieutenant colonel. It's a little bit of a joke on their part. But at any rate, I, I was at this, this conference and I, I, I'd been talking about, I forget what, even what I was talking about this. When it was end, when I was finished, there was one lone 28-year-old salvationist staying in front of me, a, a woman, a young woman. Head down. I mean, the, the sadness in her face was just tore at my heart. And I drew her aside to sit down and talk. Tells me this story. Three years before, she had been assigned to the soup kitchen, the feeding kitchen for the Boston, the downtown Boston area. All the down and outs, homeless people, right? She was assigned to that. The only person. It's her job to raise the money and get the food and cook it and serve it to the down and out of Boston. And her boss said to her, her colonel, whoever, captain maybe, whoever she was under, said, that's your job, this is what you do, don't bother me with it. Just get on and do it. For three years, she says, this is what I've had to do. It was a struggle. Food wasn't coming in, so what I thought I'd get up an extra half an hour, and maybe if I just prayed for another half an hour, pleaded with God, he'd send the food. And for a little while, it seemed to get better. And then I thought, well, let me, I, I make it one hour. She had to get up very early, 5.30 or so, because she had to have some breakfast, early morning food ready. She was getting up now, two o'clock in the morning to pray till five o'clock often falling asleep on her knees pleading for money or food or whatever so she didn't have to go and face that poverty stricken group little children, mothers drunks and tell them I'm sorry I'm out of food she was getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was so moved. She was burnt out. That's burnout. You give and you give and you give of your emotion, and one day there's nothing more to give. Num. Num, num, num. The following week, I had a preach at the Crystal Cathedral. I don't know if you ever see that on television. It's a huge, Robert Schuller, it's a huge, huge church. It's probably the best known 
in most of the world even. I mean, it, it gets broadcast everywhere around the world. <clears throat> and I had a priest. This is a very wealthy congregation. And uh, Schuller was actually leading the service. I was just going to preach this sermon. And I was standing behind him and I was looking across 3,000 faces. Wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people. And her face just kept coming up in my, in my memory. And I looked at this and the tears started. My wife said she was sitting downstairs. I could see the tears in your eyes. How can this be? Is this God's kingdom? Is this how God does it? I could take one offering on that group and probably have enough money to feed a year of homeless in in the Boston area. And the disparity between the one and the other, I mean, it was so stark to me. I, I, I could barely get up the courage to preach. I wanted to sort of lash out at, you know, what are you all sitting here so smugly with your fancy clothes and hats and, 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 and all of that? Do you know that there are people starving in, I was going to say in Africa, but <laughs> my mother always used to say, eat your food, eat all your food. You know there are people starving in Africa, don't you? <laughs> Mom, we are in Africa. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I want you to really get the picture of what burnout is about. Emotional exhaustion. Demoralized. Hopeless. Hope is gone. I tried. I pray. Pray that God will give me the increase here. And it doesn't come. It's burnout. Causes of burnout. Situational conflicts. Inadequate support. Particularly inadequate support from the top. One of the things I've said for years, and I practice it, is that support comes from the top down, not from the bottom up. My faculty are not there to support me. I'm there to support them. It, it, it was a table, you know. The, 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 we, we think of support in terms of tables, but it's not. It's, it's hanging. And I've always, everyone who's ever had been my supervisor, I've made it absolutely clear, you are crucial. When our provost died, Glenn Barker, I told you about it, dropped dead on that tennis court that day. And we were out at Provost for a while. I went to the president of Fuller Seminary and I said to, to David Hubbard, David, I know you're overworked. I do not need supervision. I don't need anyone to help me make decisions. I can make decisions. I know what to do. I know how to do it. I don't need advice. I tell you what, David, just forget about me for a while. Just, you know, that's fine. You know, I don't need it. You're sure? Yeah, I do. <coughs> In two months, I was totally burnt out. And I called, in, I called up David and said, David, I've got, I've got to have a meeting with you. I've got to see you. And, and re-established my regular meeting. I didn't need his advice. Didn't need his counsel. But I need someone. Other than those who are responsible, I, needed, I need someone to go to that I can share with share the burden with and, 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 and we need that I, the point I'm making no support system you're going to burn out clear as daylight it will happen many churches senior pastors are cold distant don't bother me with the details it's a disaster 
situ- uh, 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 other inadequate rewards. I had a, 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 a patient once, he was an emergency room physician. Worked like mad, worked like crazy, long hours. He owned the emergency room, actually, is what it was. And I, I, you know, working 16, 18 hours a day, and I, I couldn't fathom how, how he keeps doing this and not burn out. And so I, I asked him sometime, you know, you know, it's just amazing. He had, he had developed an addiction problem. We were trying to deal with that. I said, I, I don't understand. You know, I, I'd have burnt, if I was in your shoes, I think, I think I would have burned out already. No, no, he said. You see, when he works, he works long hours for 12 days. And then he takes a week off and flies to France or there, somewhere else. He, he had the financial resources to compensate him and give him that recovery time so he could get out for a while. But that salvationist, seven days a week, 52 weeks of the year, had to go back into that kitchen and see if she can find food. That's burnout. So sometimes if there's adequate rewards, it's amazing how resilient you can be with regard to burnout. Just give me enough money. Because you see, the money gives you the, the freedom so, um, it's another way of saying, I think we should need to pay our pastors more, right? <laughs> Ongoing minor conflict, little conflicts, little conflicts eat away at you like little wolves. Low-grade depression, when you, when, you, when you persist with a low-grade depression, trying, just pushing yourself to do your pushing yourself, burnout can come quickly. And when you have burnout, you have a complication uh, with, the, with the depression. And uh, irrational expectation, lack of assertiveness. If you are not able to say no, you will burn out. Okay, so we have two roads. The stress road, we know enough about that. Now, the burnout road. Now, they both have one common end point. They both end in depression. But in the case of stress, it's usually stress-induced. In the case of burnout, the depression is due primarily, it's primarily reactive. And one of the major losses that you have to deal with when in burnout. And, and I've seen this again and again and again in pastors that I have worked with who are burnt out. You lose trust in God. That's a very profound one. Now, what surprises me, what I'm amazed at is, how come, how come, they don't just say, you know what, I don't believe in this thing. I've, I've, I've trusted God, yeah, it hasn't worked. Maybe he doesn't exist. So it's all a, all a fallacy. Never happens. I've never yet found a pastor burnt out who says, God doesn't exist. Now, what he says is, God doesn't care. Because it's God doesn't care that keeps my burnout going. Because if he didn't exist, then why am I burnt out? And it's one of the biggest losses that in the recovery period of burnout that one has to try to restore. How do I restore this person's lack now of trust in God? That's, that's the challenge. Um, who burns out? Determined idealists. <laughs> Overcommitted, overdedicated, overly sympathetic, 
Type B personalities. I had mentioned this yesterday. Type B personalities. <clears throat> no, this morning I think I mentioned. Type B personalities. Now, why type B personalities burn out? It's because type B tend to be more reflective, more feeling-oriented. They feel things more deeply. A type A just shrugs it off. That's the trouble with a type A. You're thick, man. <laughs> I know, because I'm one. You know, you can be... But, but type Bs tend to feel more deeply. So, disappointment affects them a little bit more. Now, <clears throat> there are two types of burnout. There is the burnout that is acute. In, in medicine, you have acute illness. That means it comes on suddenly and you treat it and it goes away. And then you have chronic. And there's an acute burnout and there's a chronic burnout. I burnt out badly, 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 badly uh, bef just before I left for the United States. In fact, it was one of the factors that I decided I was going to go to the United States. I graduated as a psychologist. I had my license to practice, but I, my engineering salary was too high. So I, I kept my engineer position, just build a, a consulting room in my office so I could offer services at reduced cost. I didn't have to worry about making a living out of it. I never thought I would be a full-time psychologist. That was not my intention. It was God's plan, but I didn't intend it. And so I started uh, seeing clients a few hours. I come home from work, five o'clock, have a quick bite to eat, go into my consulting room and wait uh, and see a client or two, three. Often they were pastors, pastors' families and so on. Uh, and started out maybe three or four nights a week, and then it was all every night of the week, and then it was like to 10 o'clock, and then finally I was going from 5.30 until about midnight every night, and then I started adding sun Saturday mornings, and then I started adding Sunday afternoons until finally it was seven days a week on top of my regular job. One day... Sitting at home, had a little break. The telephone rang. And I jumped up and I started screaming. Shut that so-so thing off. And from that moment on, I have hated the telephone. I, I had a negative conditioned response to the telephone. You see, one more telephone ring means one more person pleading with me for help. I had nothing more to give. And I knew this was it. That's an acute burnout. It comes on suddenly. Just, you know, like almost overnight. But there's another type of, of burnout which is more chronic. It, it, it sort of gradually creeps up on you slowly, insidiously, just a little bit of disappointment here, a little bit of disappointment there, and over time it gradually, gradually diminishes. Research we have done at Fuller shows that about one pastor in five is burnt out within the first five years of ministry. Three out of five by the tenth year of ministry. Now, not serious enough to quit ministry, but enough to just rob it of its joy. The pleasure isn't there anymore. Um, 
it, 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 it happens mostly in situations of, of hopelessness where things are not working well. But, but chronic burnout is an insidious, a very slow onset. Now, chronic burnout, uh, acute burnout, because it comes on suddenly, does respond quickly to recovery. I shut down my practice, packed up, quit my engineering, and accepted the position at Fuller Seminary to join the faculty. And uh, got to Fuller my first year. I, I was burnt out. I had little energy. Um, and, and then began to recover. Chronic burnout is much more difficult to recover from. It's a slow process. Uh, my estimate, from my experience in working with uh, burnout for, what, 35 years now, uh, and being at Fuller, so I see a lot of clergy who, who are burnt out. From my experience, I would say that it takes somewhere between five and six years to fully recover from a burnout experience, a chronic burnout experience. All that time, it's, 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 it's a matter of regaining confidence in yourself, regaining trust in God, to where it's no longer incapacitating you. So what, what can one do to prevent burnout? And the prevention is pretty much the same as in recovery. How do I recover from it? And I want to present it, and it's towards the, the bottom there, I want to present it as a series of theologies because I think that burnout is ultimately a theological issue. Ray Anderson uh, on the Faculty of Theology is now retired, but Ray Anderson used to say that burnout is theological anemia. And I love that expression. Burnout is theological anemia. If your theology is right, burnout can be helped, prevented. But, but that, uh, I, I'm going to present them as, as a series of theologies. This is, there, and there, there are four theologies that I, I want to mention. They, and then, now talk about the support system and so on. But four theologies that you need to get straight that can help you prevent burnout and that if you are burned out, you need to focus on to get recovery. The first is, you must develop a healthy theology of compassion. One of the failures in seminary is not to teach pastors what we do teach in, in, in psychology, not to teach them uh, that our compassion must not be based on sympathy. It must be based on empathy. It's a big difference. We take six years, our, our students take six years to train, and every year they're in supervision and working with clients and getting supervision, and one of the things you beat out of them is sympathy. There's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. What we train counselors to do is, is to be empathic. And the, the difference is something like this. <clears throat> sympathy says, 
I know how you feel because I am feeling the same pain as you feel. So here's a pastor who, who, who uses sympathy, uh, believe, comes to believe, sort of erroneously, that, you know, if my people are hurting, then I've got to hurt with them. And, and so it becomes, a, a, it becomes a sort of me hurting and showing that hurt and the belief is that somehow out of that I impart comfort to others. It, it, it's a misunderstanding of the, the, that, that, that text that says weep with those that weep. It's a misunderstanding of that. It's not good exegesis. Because it goes on to say rejoice with those that rejoice. So we do all the weeping, we never do the rejoicing. I weep often with my patience. Often. But it's not a weeping of sympathy. It's a weeping of empathy. Empathy says, I know how you feel because I feel that way. Empathy says, you know, there's no way I can really feel what you're feeling. But can you tell me about it? So, the mistake we make in ministry that can lead us down the burnout path is to think that we have to deliver sympathy. Because see, how, do you, how would I go home at the end of the day after having listened to some of the most horrific stories, life stories, and, 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 and the pain and the hurt? And how, how can you go home at the end of the day and not carry that burden home with you and weigh you down? Now, it's not that you... It, it's not that you don't have compassion, but your compassion has to be limited. Empathy says, I want to understand and help you understand, but I can never even begin to fathom the pain that you are feeling. Now, it just so happens that that is a more powerful helping force. When someone comes to me and says, you know, I'm feeling badly for your family because you lost your son-in-law, I want to throw up. I don't want you to feel bad. Your feeling bad doesn't help me. See, our role is not to bear people's burdens. Point them to the cross. Jesus bears their burdens. Get off the cross, pastor. Get off the cross, counselor. It's not your job. Just point them to the great burden bearer. Jesus can bear. Jesus bore their pain. And you're just getting in the way. Get your theology of compassion straight. It's very easy. You see, lay people are sympathy bound in their helping. When I stand at the back fence and talk to a neighbor, usually I, use symp- I show sympathy. I, in South Africa, we have an expression. Every, every, where's the South Africans here? We, we, we say sorry. Right? Hendrik? Sorry. We don't mean it. We're not sorry. But, but it, is the, it is a classic expression, sorry. You know. Oh, gee whiz, I've just done this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's our way of showing sympathy. Dump the sympathy. Develop your empathy. Second theology that can help get your theology of success straight. Now, I've talked a bit about this already. It's, 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 
it's in ministry, if your theology is not healthy in the area of success, you will burn out because you will never, ever achieve your goal. Never. Okay. When, I feel like calling up Rick Warren one of these days, you know, he's got this big, huge church. I'm say, Rick, when are you going to be satisfied? When, do, when, do you, when are you going to feel successful? My brother, when I left South Africa, my brother, who was in business, got a contract, uh, gold mining industry, to move gold-bearing rock back to the crushers, and he made a fortune. And uh, my first year at Fuller, I was getting such a miserable salary. He called me up one day and said, Hey, Arch, do you want to come back to South Africa? I'll give you a contract for a million dollars. And back 35 years ago, that was a lot of money. It's not a lot of money in Mao, but it's a lot of money then. I'll give you a contract for a million dollars. Just come back for one year. I need an engineer here. He was sort of gloating. It's his way of saying, ha, I'm your younger brother, but you see, I'm doing better than you. You finish high school. You go to university. I didn't even finish high school, but I'm doing better than you. I mean, brothers have that competitive thing, you know. And, uh, and I said to my brother Kenny, I said, Ken, I, I don't know that you will ever, ever know when you've been success. When do you reach success? How many million? Because no sooner had he made his first few million than he needed to make the next, you know. Today he's a very unhappy man. Miserable. It's, it, it destroyed his health. I mean, he can hardly walk. He's two years younger than me. He can hardly walk. I think he's had three heart surgeries already. Bypass surgeries. Now the trouble with success is there is no point in life when you say, you know what, I've reached success. There is no such point. It's all a process. It's all a journey. You never get to the end of this journey. Get, a, get your theology of success. I've read his uh, success, theology of success right. Yeah, okay. We, let's get our theology of sex right. But I'll drink to that. <clears throat> uh, let's get our theology of failure right. Then get our theology of self-care right. Failure I've talked about. I know I'm going to add. The theology of self-care. <clears throat> And back to where I started with Charles Spurgeon saying, take care the culture of your inner self, the culture of your person. If you want to avoid burnout, make sure that you take care of this precious, precious vessel that God has loaned to you. Sleep well. Eat right. Exercise plenty. And you will be in the best possible condition to weather those disappointments, to bear those heavy burdens, to be able to stand back and see the grandeur, the big view of God's plan. Every now and again I sort of get caught up in this image, this grand and glorious plan of God. I think most of us are little worms sort of you know, scrubbing it around the bottom. We don't see that. If you're going to be self-caring, make sure you get an adequate support system. And you often have to create it for yourself. Pastors need to be in a support group. One of the things you cannot survive in, in Christian ministry 
alone. It doesn't work. Got to have a support system. And of course you must have a program for spiritual replenishment. <clears throat> well, I'm almost done. This is one last thing I want to add. And it's this. Sometimes burnout is God's plan for your life. Sometimes it takes a huge disappointment, a time of utter um, despair for us to open the door for God to come in and do his finest work. And he does his finest work in these moments. Burnout can be God's plan for your life because that's when he can do the real, real deep work in your life. I want to say again, it's been wonderful being here. It's been wonderful getting to know you. I, uh, uh, I'm going to be sad. It's going to be a loss for me to go home. It'll, it'll be a loss that will probably last for about an hour. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and and then and then Andy's picture will come to mind. And uh, <laughs> for those of you who will be here in the service, I look forward to to seeing you. And we're going to be focusing for the service on the theme of keeping hope alive. And so, till we meet again, God bless you all. Thank you.